and I'm all yours. Not for the money and it's not for the applause. Uh, no. Uh, let's put the noise please. Sex, sex, Hello and welcome to the Juicy Deets NFL Podcast. My name is Alex Jensen. Some of you know me as Juicy. With me here, we got something even juicier. Zach Deets. How you doing today, brother? To be honest with you, man, I don't know anybody in the world who calls you Juicy. I still don't know the origins <laughs> of that nickname. We will uh, dig into the origins of that nickname at some point on this podcast. I think that would be a fun little opener at some point. Yeah, I mean, I feel I feel like the listeners deserve a backstory of some sorts. Some of okay, we've got listeners that know me from my baseball writing. They uh, some of them will know, but uh, if not, we will dig into that at some point. Maybe next podcast. Maybe next podcast. We got to get ready, but. Uh, I think we got a loaded podcast today, so probably not today. Try to keep it a little bit in time limits. What we're going to be talking about today is what we look for if we were starting our own team from a schematic and coaching standpoint. So we're going to dig into schemes and what we value is coaching traits kind of across the board. Then we're going to do a little bit of a coaching draft with all NFL coaches, but barring head coaches, so only assistants and position coaches and coordinators and uh then we just kind of break down what our teams look like and uh, take it from there but before we do that we're going to kind of go into week two and talk about our teams giants and the seahawks probably neither of us are uh, too excited to talk about what happened last week because uh both both of our teams did a fairly similarly in those games and then uh, we're going to come up with no reaction so zach i will let you start it off since your game was first Tell me about Thursday Night Football. How do the Giants look? Um, it was only about a week and a half ago. It feels like about a month, which I don't know if is a good or a bad thing. But, I mean, this might tie into, like, my overreaction. So, I'm actually going to combine the two right now. I'm starting to lose faith in Joe Judge. Like, when he was first hired, I get he was kind of like a no-name. I knew of him very, you know, very little of him. I knew he was the uh, special teams coach for the Patriots. And, you know, I mean, he he's a true leader of men. Like, he, like, I will say that. He does display good leadership qualities. The team seems to love him. So I'm not saying anything from what I'm hearing or what I'm seeing, the team looks like they're all in on him. And we could talk about these people on Twitter and everything about like, oh, he's making them run laps, blah, blah, blah. The team, nobody except for Kelvin Benjamin has said a bad thing about the guy, to my knowledge. Um, For a guy who preaches discipline as much as he does, Thursday was embarrassing. And, you know... From, I believe, the Giants finished with like nine or ten penalties. It was definitely, it was definitely nine or more than nine. My apologies. But, um, that it's just, you know, Dexter Lawrence did not cost them that game. 
Uh, we can look at that video on Twitter that's circulating. If it's a perfect snap, whatever, I don't know. It's kind of 50-50. But, like, it's just a mess. It's just a mess. Um, the defense looks like it's taken a step back, and I don't know if that's a Patrick Ram thing. The problem with the Giants is that, and this ties into the front office, which, I mean, should be on the hottest of seats possible. They built this team in terms of cap, in terms of building a roster, like this was a older, older contending team trying to win it all. Like the like the Buccaneers, something like that. Like this team has no flexibility. It's basically a swing for the fences by Dave Gettleman to try and at least I don't know, get the seventh seed, which I mean, their chances are what, like 11% now? They started off 0-2. I think it's like if you start the season off 0-2, you have like an 11% chance to make the playoffs. You know, that's Why? the number. Yeah, okay, perfect. I think I saw it today. That's why. But um, regardless, like, just an undisciplined team. I will say, have a few positives. Daniel Jones has looked really good through two weeks. And, you know... Uh, we hate PFF on this podcast, but he's their number two. I'm actually not a huge PFF hater, for what it's worth. I'm lukewarm. It's a tool. It is a tool. It is. A, I, I'm talking specifically about their grading. So take it with a grain of salt. They have Daniel Jones ranked as the second best passing quarterback in the league through two weeks. And that might be a little rich, but anyone who looks at the Giants and their failures – this season, I get it's only two games and says, oh, it's Daniel Jones' fault, is not watching. Because he has looked really good through two weeks. I thought Jason Garrett looked or called a much better game. Sterling Shepard looks like he's the wide receiver one, which, I mean, if you would have told me that at this point last year with his, like, four concussions, I would have thought you were nuts. But all in all, just an excruciating loss. Daniel Jones' first loss to Washington. Didn't turn the ball over. Dumb penalties, probably rambled on too long, but it's been 10, I think 10, 11 days. I had to get it all out, man. But uh, the Seahawks uh, wasn't wasn't much better for you guys. Very similar game. I want to say, I believe on this podcast last week, I said, you don't want Daniel Jones to be your leading rusher when you have Saquon Barkley. Apparently, I'm just wrong because apparently he's just going to go for almost triple digits every week he looks fast he is incredibly athletic and i really didn't know that about him coming out it's, it's interesting to watch but you i think 95 yards or something like that with like a 40 yard run taken back or something it, it's impressive uh, yeah, it's insane and i've always loved daniel jones yeah and just like not to cut you off because i know we got to keep things moving but like there that video of that run that got called back by the cj board hold which was probably the weakest possible hold I mean, objectively, that was a very weak call. But he, like, looks fast. And I knew he was pretty athletic. Like, but I thought he was, like, Justin Herbert athletic. Maybe, you know, somebody similar to that. I'm trying to think of, like, a bigger guy who can move around a little bit like that. But, I mean, I did not expect this. So, I will give Daniel Jones credit. He is not the reason why this team is bad. But I'm sorry, sir. Continue with your Seahawks tirade. It's all good. Just want to shout that out. And yeah, Seahawks, man, I think this is a good trend that we're seeing a lot around the NFL so far this year, and it's going to be a trend. It was so easy to see what happened in that game. And 
there's a specific play for me where I believe it was 24-16 where I just knew it was going to happen, where it took the, took the foot off the gas pedal. It is what it is. It's the exact same feeling I got in almost the exact same situation watching the uh, Chiefs-Brown game week one, where everything was clicking. They had it working. They had a rhythm. And then they're like, oh, we're up by too much for this point in the game. What we need to do is just slow the game down and try to just grind this out. And that's not the way to win a football game. It just isn't right now, especially against a good offense, which is explosive, which they definitely are. I mean, they got Julio Jones. A.J. Brown played horrible. Biggest takeaway for me, it looked like the Seahawks kind of wanted to lose the game. Penalties everywhere. And they were playing against one of the most disciplined teams in the NFL, I believe, over the last three years. They have been the least penalized team in the NFL, which goes back. I'm not a huge Vrabel guy, but he is very good at instilling discipline in his players. DK Metcalf cost us the game. I, I He was a clear net negative in the game. I think he had five penalties, and there were multiple situations in which five they couldn't. Penalties. He had five penalties, but that was with situations where twice – he was called for two penalties on the same play so they could only assign him one. So really seven penalties on DK Metcalf alone. And they were all dumb. They were all dumb and shouldn't have affected the play. Like there was no reason to do any of them. He was just in his own head. He was not performing on the field either and just storming on the sidelines. Pete Carroll kept having to talk him down, pull him off after he, right after he talked him down. He'd come back out, immediately commit a stupid penalty. You take him back off the field and really cost Seahawks in this game. So that was weird to see, because I expect him to kind of dominate going up against Christian Fulton, but Fulton got in his head, under his skin, and wore his skin like some sort of a horror movie this entire game. So that was the biggest thing, and then just there was one play, 24-16, I believe it was fourth and one or two in like the 40-yard line, and immediately Pete Carroll sends out the punter. And I'm not a critical guy of Pete. I'm not. But that play, you know Shane Waldron wasn't wasn't the guy who called that. Russell Wilson, I believe, uh, was after the uh, Sunday night game where uh, people were saying, oh, Harbaugh really just asked Lamar Jackson, you want to go for it on that last play? Russell Wilson's liking every Instagram or, you know, every Twitter, uh, you know, comment about that. And you could tell, you could tell. That was the frustration is just taking the foot off that gas pedal things are, when things were clicking and they just couldn't find that rhythm again and it cost them the game. So. It's frustrating. Teams still look good. Shane Waldron calling really good games when they're letting him. I, you know, I think hopefully it's a learning experience for Pete Carroll. He did the same thing last year. and He did learn from his, his mistakes kind of earlier on. So I'm, I'm hopeful it'll happen again, but we'll see. We'll see. It's going to be a more trying week next week because teams either going to come together or it's going to pull apart a little bit, depending on how next week goes. So Pretty excited to see how that goes, but nervous as well. More nervous than I was. Uh, it's always tough to blow a 24 to 9 lead, especially when you're in the NFC West. So, fun, fun game, though. Objectively, a good game to watch. Overreaction time. I actually don't even have anything planned out yet. So, I'm going to be doing it on the fly. So, I'm going to let you lead it off. Zach, overreaction from week two. What's your hot take? Oh, man. I mean, I was going to use that Joe Judge one as my overreaction, but I will say this. The, mm, I think the AFC East will only have one playoff team. That's my overreaction. The Bills? I, 
Yes, the Bills. I'm still in on the Bills. Josh Allen has looked a little shaky. And that might be weird to say after the Patriots beat the hell out of the Jets, but, I mean, I don't think that was a super impressive win at all, man. Like, I get, yeah, 25-6, to Mac Jones will make a lot of mistakes, but, I mean, it's just such a conservative offense. And, you know, the thing about the Patriots is, like, yes, they're going to – they're always going to play you close, and they're always going to play good defense. But I just don't know, man. Like, if they have that firepower? Because I look at the other teams in this AFC uh, wild card bubble. Like, I can't believe I'm saying this. But based on just like – I'm going to ask you this right now, Alex. Based on the first two weeks, which offense would you rather have? New England's or Las Vegas? Ooh, that is a tough question. I mean, Vegas looked better. I Objectively, they did. Derek Carr looks awesome. They finally started using Henry Ruggs in this game correctly, which was exciting. It was only in the second half, but they did it. I John Gruden's always been a very good play caller. I, I think I'm actually going to go Patriots. Just because, well, I think it would really depend on who's Cohen plays defensively for me. Just because I think when you've got a team like the Patriots and you've got a coordinator like they have and a, and a QB like they have, I think that they are really well suited to if you get more than seven, one score down on them, you're just not going to be able to come back. Because I don't know that there's a single offense in the NFL besides maybe the Browns that are better suited to just grind you out them i think mac jones is going to be one of those guys who can complete 90 percent of his passes once he gets a lead and just take whatever defense gives him every play and i don't know if he's a guy that can come back if they get down but i think he is a guy that can keep a lead for an entire game so kind of reminds me of one of those kansas City alex smith teams yeah i mean like okay i mean i'm not that upset that you uh disagree with me but you but i mean based on your answer you think it's pretty close, correct? A hundred percent. And I, I like yeah. Derek Carr. Derek Carr's the more explosive quarterback, and they're definitely the more explosive team. Yeah, it's not even yeah, it's not even just the Raiders, like Mac Jones and Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, Teddy's look good, but even like Mac in his rookie year, I mean, I feel like that's kind of a wash. I would definitely say Denver has better skill weapons. They got a pretty underrated offensive line. The Chargers, I feel like you and I would both say that's a more potent potentially potent often offense then potentially uh, yeah i mean yeah i mean regardless (laughs) it's close so i mean i guess what i'm saying is that like this feels like a transitional year for the patriots um i get belichick's getting older i would not be surprised at all if they make the playoffs i mean in my heart of hearts i would probably still take them but i don't think it's like as easy as I thought it was going to be at the beginning of the year. Yeah, I think it's a good hot take because there's a lot of good teams in that division right now and the Jets, and the Jets are going to make it, it appears, easier for everyone else in that division to make the playoffs. So it's it's, it's a hot take. I like it. I like it. I think my hot take is going to be that – Mm-hmm. 
I really want to say something, but I'm gonna I'm gonna pull back from it. I think no, that say I, it, say it, say it. Say <laughs> I'm not right going now. to say it right now. I'm not no, going no, no, to. No, 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 no. Come on. I'm I'm pulling it back a little bit. I'm pulling it back oh a little God, bit. But you're a coward, bro. You're like you are the right, version right. of the Seahawks offense this past week. <laughs> the second Fine. half of the game. Just just that parallel. I'm gonna say that the the Cleveland Browns are going to be exactly last year's version of Tampa Bay, where they're not going to win the division, but they are going to win the Super Bowl. I mean, I disagree. Still feel like, you know, I don't fully trust that offense. And I like Baker. I don't know, man. It's like, it's such a good team, but it's just it's missing something. Like I need to see Baker like play like 2020 Baker second half of the season for like the rest of the year. But I mean I'm not going to kill you for it. I disagree with it. Let me defend it really quickly. The way okay. I'm seeing it and I wanted to pull back a little bit from it, but just because I think maybe they will win the division just because a little bit of a rough week for that division. But that being said, they are just these bouts of just inconsistency and lack of cohesion. But when they're clicking, I mean, even the Chiefs, I don't know if the Chiefs look quite as good as them when they're clicking. I think that they are much better at the Chiefs at being able to grind you down once they get ahead. I think they're going to have some warts when they try to get back Odell Beckham, and I believe Jarvis Landry was hurt, and they're still figuring out how to use Schwartz as more than just a weapon. The defense... There were, again, that, that's, they're going to need a little bit of time to get that cohesion together. There's a lot of players that haven't played together for very long and a new defensive coordinator. But I think when it all starts clicking, there's a lot of potential there for them to be a team that's 12-5 and five or something like that coming in and just blows the top off of everybody. So that's the parallel I see there. And this week kind of showed me how good they can be again, same as last week, and showed me that it's going to take them probably, you know, two thirds of the season to get to that level. I don't expect them to click right away starting next week. No, I mean, like, it's a, it's a semi fair take. Like I said, I'm not going to kill you for it. I disagree. <laughs> semi fair, <laughs> high praise. <laughs> I'll, I'll take it. I'll take it. But uh, just uh, looking from a time perspective, I'm going to kind of bump us on to talking about how we want to build a team over here. I'm excited to get into this episode. I think it's a little bit risky for us to talk about because we get deeply in the weeds. I think there's a decent chance that we will disagree strongly on a couple things and kind of have the risk of uh, looking like an ESPN show where we're yelling at each other. But uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes because there's potential to be a very exciting podcast with some, some of our best football discussion, I think. Uh, so I'm, I'm pretty excited to see it. We're going to start it off with a, kind of a description of the offensive scheme that we like. Zach, I will kind of let you go ahead. Just a brief overview of what you're looking for in an offense. Maybe what the scheme is. Maybe blocking scheme. A little bit of play design if you want to get into it. Nothing too crazy, but just perfect world. Blank slate team. Everything's neutral. Okay. Um. I don't know. It's tough because there's so many like fun, innovative offenses in just like football overall, like NFL, college, any league really like so much creativity. And it's just like amazing, Alex. Like every year we see like these new like designs and like schemes pop up and it's just it just make it just truly like evolves the sport. I feel like that's what makes football 
you know, probably in my opinion, I know, I don't know. Actually, hold on. I'm sorry. I'm going to go off topic here. Are you, what's your favorite sport, baseball or football? My favorite sport to watch is football. Okay. So we're both footballs are fit. We'll, we'll go with that. But I feel like what makes football, in our opinion, the greatest, like the most fun sport to watch is that the creativity. And you could say, oh, there's different plays in basketball and like, oh, I mean, baseball, it's kind of like the same thing. I mean, defensive shifts, woo, but like and like pitching and stuff like that. But just the uh, creativity on how you're able to excel in the sport is what makes it you know, really special to me. But in terms of my offense, I'm going to keep it basic here. Uh, I I like West Coast offenses, man. West Coast, you specialize in play action, try and build some run-after-the-catch guys. Very Shanahan-esque offense, obviously. Um, You know, zone blocking. In terms of, like, different offenses I like, like, obviously I love, like, running gun, like, air raid Stuff like that, like the ball down the field. But in terms of like an offense, that if I, my ideal scheme would be West Coast, get the ball out quickly, get guys who are freaky athletes who get, get good hands, run after the catch, and just get yourself just athleticism. That's basically the overall view of mine. I just want athletes everywhere. Yeah, I can see it. I, I think, especially right now, that's been the offense that for most teams has been the most consistently good offense. I wouldn't say that necessarily all of the best offenses are doing it, but I think that the average offense that's running a West coast team, I don't know what the blocking scheme is for you, but that's what the Shanahan's McVay's a lot of people are running very successfully right now. And I think that the other peak offenses you're seeing have come with other people that are trying and failing really badly to do the same thing. So If you're going like highest EV offense, I'm with you there. I I think for me personally, I'm also going to go somewhat of a West Coast spread style offense. I think that really what I want to do is just be super multiple. I want to be able to adjust what I'm doing to what the personnel on the other team are and put them in binds. You kind of know from we've done a lot of team building exercise in the past Like, I want to be able to toss out some weird packages that are just going to make teams prove that they can stop it before I can can do it. Like, some weird, like, 23 personnel or just some weird stuff like that, depending on which kind of guys I have. If I have two good, you know, receiving backs or a wide receiver that can slip into place and receiving back, like Darius Tony, I think, is uh, an interesting one of those. And three different role tight ends. Make them stop that a little bit. But generally, the main thing I want to do is I want to be able to just spread out the field both horizontally and vertically and just create space. Like you're saying, if you can do that and then get athletes into that space with your ability to scheme, I I think that's where you can really make it hard for defenses to stop you. I think that if you aren't able to create a tremendous amount of space, it just makes it that much harder for you every single play to execute. So that's what I want to do is kind of marry some vertical stretch the themes with uh, mid zone I, outside zones. Fantastic. I like it. I prefer mid zone a little bit just because I want to be able to run that power stuff a little bit, or at least kind of be between the trees a bit. So the McVeigh blocking scheme, I like quite a bit. And then uh, just kind of a, a true multiple offensive scheme with some spread principles. So that's what I like to do defensively. 
I believe we disagree a bit here based off past conversations, but we'll see. We'll see. I'm a big three, four guy. I'm a big three, four guy. I like that odd front. I like to be able to, you know, kind of run that bare front with the five men up front, stop the run. And uh, I think, again, the thing I want to do is be multiple enough, which I think is easier to do from three, four, that I can disguise coverage a ton and just not be running the same thing every time. Try to confuse quarterbacks because I really feel like right now, especially how the rules are, are going, how good some of these quarterbacks are just picking you apart. The only way to really do it is to make them think they're looking at something different than what they are. And maybe it takes three plays to do it, but that one play you do it can be the ones that cause the change downs or a turnover or whatever it is. So I'm big on that. I am a believer that it is easier to scheme pass rush than it is to scheme coverage. So I kind of want to build from the back forward is a personal belief of mine as well. I can see from your face that that is not how you see it, which makes this a little bit fun. I think that when you're looking at what a lot of the best defense in the NFL, that's what they're doing right now, especially when you look at teams like Miami or you look at teams like the Rams or you're looking at teams like Baltimore. They're scheming the coverage and then – or pardon me, they're scheming the uh, pass rush and then just investing heavily in that back end. So those are my beliefs there. I like blitz. I like to kind of run an even amount of man versus uh, zone. I don't want to be too predictable either way there. I think there's advantages to both. Third downs. I kind of want to be about even between four, six, and one for coverages. I think there's certain situations, especially short, where you want to be in man. But if it's anything longer, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of cover six, personally. I like that quite a bit in third and long situations. Some cover four. And I think that if you're able to just be playing down downhill with your safeties, even in the passing game, I think that that gives you the highest floor for being able to stop multiple things. So that's kind of my personal beliefs on defensive scheme. Very excited to hear yours based off the uh, facial expressions that I am seeing here. Well, Alex, to be completely honest with you, I like a lot of what you said, and my giggle was because I heard your uh, daughter crying in the back. That was yes, uh, she is a hundred percent not happy right now. But uh, she's she's a devout devout scheme coverage invest in pass rush. Uh, but that's just because she's, uh, you know, five months old. So by the time she turns six months, she should uh, come around. I mean, that's usually the age it happens. But uh, anyway, uh, yeah, I mean, I disagree with you in the sense, but I would probably say just, you know, speaking very, very basically, not even like a 4-3. Like, I just kind of, I mean, technically, yeah, I'm a 4-3 guy. And that feels weird to say because I've watched – you know, three, four defenses for what feels like a million years with the Giants. But, you know, my base, like typically I just want, I just want to have, you know, four guys. I want a bit of an odd front, you know, some speed, one speed guy on the end, one power guy is the other defensive end. I want to have two athletic linebackers and then I just want to run nickel a hundred percent, a hundred percent of the time. I'm not trying to have a third linebacker out there. I don't care about like a will or anything like that. I I'm just trying to, you know, optimize my chances in terms of coverage. So if I'm just going back to like my base idea, I definitely want to be a cover four heavy, which, you know, you would need those athletic linebackers to go for. Um, in safeties terms of as the, well. Safeties. Yes. 
Um, in terms of completely lost my train of thought now. Um, in terms of oh, the pass rush versus coverage debate. I mean, you can call me an old head all you want. Give give me the sick pass rusher. Give me the Miles Garrett over like a Jalen Ramsey, something like that. I old head. Yeah, I am an old head. Real boomer take right there by uh. Dietz okay, boomer. Fact uh, Deets, certified boomer. Yeah, I am a certified boomer. I don't know, man. I just I feel like it's more effective. Just from you know, I'm sure we're not going to dive into numbers here. This isn't the Juicy Deets analytics podcast, you know. It's not coming it's not soon. <laughs> that's that's not what we're trying to do at all. You know, we're trying to get you guys to listen to the pod. But anyway, um, I don't know. Just based off of, like my eye test, man. Like I appreciate guys who could like get to the backfield in a flash and you know force the quarterback to make a mistake that makes the job easier for the secondary. Because in my opinion, it's easier for the defensive linemen and the edge rushers and those, you know, if we are running a 3-4, which I am not, but any pass rusher, like, pressure the quarterback and make the secondary just job easier. And I feel like it's harder for the secondary to make the uh, defensive line jobs easier. It's not like, you know, it's not like defensive linemen – and I'm saying this very basically, like v- very casual thing I'm about to say. So be warned. It's not like defensive linemen, if they're like, you know, if the DC calls a blitz or a stun or something like that. It's not like they're going to give like 65, 70% effort because they're like, oh, we got we got two pro bowlers in the in the uh, second. Like, no, nah, that's not. I feel like. I don't know. I just I just trust the pass rush more on that. Um, in terms of coverage, I I probably lean zone more, but I do agree with you in the sense that man and zone, you know, they have their pros, they have their cons. Uh, definitely run multiple in that sense, but yeah, I'm just trying to you know phase out the linebacker unless it's like a Fred Warner or Darius Leonard or a uh, Bobby Wagner of some sorts. Yeah, you always got to try to emphasize the unicorns when you have them. And I I think that having two very versatile linebackers is a huge thing right now. And I think, obviously, linebackers are going to play more of a role if you're playing 3-4 than if you're playing 4-3. So I get where you're coming from there quite a bit. And I I definitely am a big three-safety guy. So, but I mean, you know, deep love for safeties over here. So I get where you're coming from. Get where you're coming from. It's interesting. I agree with most things you're saying. We just see it differently. Uh, it's, it's fun. It's fun. And a lot of NFL teams do and both work and both fail. So it's going to be fun to see how we build out these teams from a personnel standpoint, though. Uh, so moving on, going to get into some of the traits that you specifically look for in a head coach. When you're looking to hire a head coach, what are the first, let's say, three things that come to your mind that you want them to check boxes on? I mean, number one for me, and this sounds really silly and like obvious, but I want him to have prior success. You know, I'm not, I, I don't think I would bring in a guy, regardless of, you know, like the packages that he calls, like a Cliff Kingsbury. I feel like that's a good example. Like Cliff Kingsbury, yeah, he coached Patrick Mahomes at Texas Tech. I'm pretty sure his career record at Texas Tech was under 500. Am I, am I wrong with that? I mean, it's close. I believe so. Sure. I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm looking for a guy that's, you know, like kind of like what you look for 
The way I view like head coaches is similar to how I would like evaluate in terms of prospects, like a high end guy who's rated highly but plays at like like a low end school, like a D two school or something like that. Like you want to make sure that guy like dominates. You want to make sure that he stands out against his competition. So that's probably the top trait. I want a guy who's a good leader, you know, that he is able to connect with players. Um, basically, just like make a cloning machine and have Joe Judge pop out. No, nah, I'm kidding. But um, no, nah, but I want a guy who instills discipline, leadership. Uh, laps. You know, laps. Yes. Joe Judge Lap Club 2021. If you're not in it, you're kind of a lame. But anyway, um, yeah, you know, in terms of like offensive or defensive base, I would probably have to say, just in terms of the way the league's headed, man, I, w- I would go with an offensive base guy. Some guy who's from West Coast style offenses, like you said, multiple spread. Some guy that appreciates the versatility in which he could use his players. And yeah, that's about it. That's all I want. I want prior success. I want leadership, and I want some somebody who knows what the fuck they're doing. Yeah, I think those are all really important things to look for. I think for me, the first thing that comes to mind is I just want someone who, when you're talking to them and they're talking about what they are going to be running, they can very eloquently verbalize why they are doing it and are clearly a high football intelligence. Because I think that's the most important thing especially in a head coach, you have to be able to identify other people that see the game in a similar way to you and are quickly processing it. I think that that's incredibly important for me. So I I think that's the first thing that I'm looking for. I don't care as much if it's offense or defense. I'm really happy to hire a guy that stands out like a, to avoid the cliche of using a McVay or a Shanahan Let's say uh, Matt LaFleur over there, who, again, comes from the same system, but is clearly a genius football mind, where I think that he could do the same things on defense as he could on offense. Uh, another one being like, uh, oh, my God, why am I blanking on his name right now? But the uh, Chargers head coach, uh, Staley, Brandon Staley, uh, I think is another person that just when you hear him talk about football, he's talking about a different thing than a lot of other people are. So I think that's the first thing I'm looking for because I think that they're going to hire better assistants going forward, and I think that that's going to translate to whatever the NFL becomes in five, six years. So that's the first thing I'm looking for. Next thing, personable. I think they have to be someone that makes the players want to play for them. I think that, and I think that you of all people have probably seen it quite a bit in New York, where they've hired some guys that are just clearly good football minds, but the players just don't want to be around them. And I, I think that's – we saw what happened with uh, Jacksonville where they had tremendous run of GM work, brought in a ton of great players. They had Blake Bortles. That hurts. But they had everything there to become something special. And between Coughlin and everyone that was there, there was just an excess of those players wanting to get the hell out of there. And I think that you just can't have that. Uh, who was at McAdoo, I believe, was also similar for you guys, where from how he was calling the game, it looked smart. But there was just something, too, the players weren't buying in, and they weren't buying into him as a person. So I think that you have to be very personable. And then I think the last thing that I'm looking for of the main traits is 
I want someone who has failed a bit. Um, I think that's the least important thing to me. I think if someone has those other two boxes, I'm willing to overlook it. But we've seen so many people where they have every reason to think that they're going to have success in their first job and they just don't. And then they fail and then they build themselves back up. And then it's the second or even sometimes the third opportunity in which they really have success. So I think that having failed somewhat or experienced hardship and have to, having had to adjust once is very important. So that's, that's what I kind of look for in a defensive coach. It's pretty much, it's a pretty similar thing. I want someone who is going to be able to be a, just a really good football mind that can very eloquently put why they're doing what they're doing and is just incredibly driven to watch film. I think that's the, one of the most important things for me is someone who is just obsessed with watching film and identifying what is happening before the snap. Basically, I, I need someone who can process at a high level because they know exactly everything to do with that offense, all the nuance, all the little wrinkles, because you cannot stop it unless you know what's going to happen. In the NFL, just the way it is, the offense is dictating to the defense. And if the defense is going to try to dictate to the offense what they're going to do, they're going to have a bad time most of the time. So I'm a firm believer in that. And then I kind of just want someone who is going to be aggressive. I think that right now, the way to win in the NFL isn't to try to just slow down offenses. I think it's to kind of be risky. I think you have to try to, and not even in a just, you know, go for it hundred percent for turnover sort of way in a, unless you're calling aggressive coverages, aggressive blitz packages. I think that you're going to have a hard time forcing these quarterbacks into mistakes. So that's really important to me. And I just want someone who is going to be able to disguise looks well and utilize kind of versatile players. So I think those are the main things I'm looking for. I don't know if we see this similarly or not. Obviously I like a three, four guy, but that's not super important here. It's not a trait as much. Yeah. That's not like that. Regardless of what scheme they run, like I'm not against the three, four in terms of like, you know what I look for, Alex, like number, number one, like they, they have to be like a savant when it comes to, you know, running different, like, you know, defensive schemes, like knowing where guys go, uh, playing them to the best of their ability ties into my second point, which is having an eye for talent, which is basically why I just said, like, looking at the players you have available or bringing in the guys and knowing, like, don't fit a square peg into a circle. Or I think that's what the phrase is. I may have just completely fucked that up. But anyway, you know what I mean. Like, don't play I think you had the phrase, right? I just want to see you flounder a little bit there. It's actually a (laughs) triangle into a rhombus. Oh, really? I thought it was like a trapezoid into like a hexa. Anyway, um, yeah, just a guy who's not going to like, you know, like you're not going to play just because a guy has great traits. Like, just for example, like Gus Bradley, he's a very good defensive coordinator. You can say what you want as a head coach. He's done a really good job with the Raiders the first two weeks. Jonathan Abram, who looked like who's looked like a first-round bus his first few weeks, has looked really, really good. And that's because they're not trying to turn him into Jamal Adams 2.0. They're playing him a lot as a dime linebacker. They're letting him snuff out the run, which is what he's best to do. You do not pigeonhole guys and make them do things that, that 
and make them complete tasks that are not going to benefit your team. Because at the end of the day, these guys are, you know, they're going to get a lot of the blame, but you're going to lose your job. And if you lose your job as a coordinator, like that shelf life for most people is a lot shorter than players. And my number one thing defensive or DC wise that I have to say, it has to be communication. You have to make sure that you're a good leader, obviously. You're able to communicate. You're able to drill in the playbook, in the different schemes, and the different calls, and the alignments, and all that good jazz into the player's head. Because we have seen so much over the years how much one, just one, and listen, NFL players, they're some of the best athletes in the world. They're not perfect. People make mistakes, but we have seen so many games where one blown coverage completely destroys a moment, destroys one team's momentum, and completely could flip that a game. Like the like that Rondale Moore play yesterday. Like why wasn't there a Viking within like thirty yards of that guy? The guy only ran a four three two in his pro days, like a ninety nine point seven percentile spark athlete. Like he sort them. Yeah, he is very short. Uh, short hive, Rondell Moore. But anyway... Um, they probably couldn't see him. I mean, probably. I mean, surprise Kyler could even see over that offensive line. But uh, regardless, instead of uh, height shaming, which I'm also, as a person who's, you know, under five foot nine, generously, don't don't really appreciate that. But regardless, I just want to... play on the Cardinals. Play. I really should. I'd be a great center. Um, just communication. <laughs> <Center>. um, <laughs> I would be a... Uh, yeah. Anyway. You know, you keep throwing me off my train of thought, man. But good communicator. Knows a lot of schemes. God. You know, Alex, you're really good at uh, making a guy look like an idiot on his own podcast. We're talking defensive coordinators. I want a disruptor like I am. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. That That's my bad. That's my bad. I'll take that loss. Uh, but that being said, we can move on to offensive coordinators. Uh, oh, you started off. I'll let you uh, get a fresh start here and I won't even uh, interrupt you at all. Go ahead. Offensive coordinators. What you looking for? Um, okay. I'll keep it short and simple. Like I said, like I kind of, I made the joke before about cloning Joe judge. I would kind of look for like a very, a guy who runs a very Shanahan-style offense, you know, exploits weaknesses in the defense, like switches things up, like uses players, you know, with insane amounts of versatility. You know, I want a bunch of guys like a Rondell Moore who could probably play some running back or like a LaVisca Chenault or like a future all-pro Kadarius Tony. Like I want those kind of guys like on my offense. And <laughs> I can't even say that was a straight face. Sounds like an Urban you know Meyer I mean? offense. Yes. <laughs> Yikes. But no, I just I I look for a guy who exploits weaknesses. I I also would want a guy that, you know, God forbid something had happened to my head coach who ideally would be offensive minded, like he has good leadership and he would be able to step in in a pinch. Yeah, I think those are all really important things there. Uh I, I think I might see it a little bit differently than you on an offensive coordinator. I think the first thing I'm looking for with an offensive coordinator is that he can tailor his offense to whatever the personnel are. I think that's really important. I think that 
I don't want to pigeonhole myself into the guy. Zach is just smiling away over there. I don't know what's going on, but he's he's having a good time. <laughs> Speaking of throwing people off. Uh, but uh, I have to get you back, bro. I'm sorry. Now we're even. <laughs> all right. All right. Fair enough. Someone who can tailor their offense to the pieces that are there and kind of adjust to, okay, I have a phenomenal player here. I'm just going to figure out a way to utilize them because that's the best thing for this offense. Not This is what I know. This is what I do. I think that's really important. I care a little bit less about being able to call plays personally, especially if I'm looking at an offensive-minded coach. I think I would rather have someone who specializes in one specific area, whether someone who's just a savant in the run game or savant in the passing game. I really want them to be able to fill that one niche really, really well. And so I think that's the biggest thing I look for. And again, kind of that versatility is really important to me because I think whatever the big thing is, or innovation, I would say, innovation is the big thing. Because if you aren't able to innovate, and even if you've got an innovative offense this year, next year it's not going to be innovative and you're going to have to get that 2.0 if you can't do it. You've got a Greg Roman type situation where teams are going to learn how to stop you a little bit more each year and it's just going to put more pressure on people around you. So I think that's the biggest thing I look for in offensive coordinators, innovation and just being able to fill a specific niche incredibly well. So that's what I look for. And uh, this is going to lead us into a little bit of a draft here. What we're going to do is we are going to, excluding NFL head coaches, excluding college players, excluding retired personnel, stuff like that, we are going to draft a head coach, offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator, and then two assistants, one on offense, one on defense, and kind of fill up a little staff here, touch briefly on why we're picking who we are, and then once we have the staff totally there, we'll have a little bit of fun with what that team would look like. Zach. Since I threw you off your rhythm on defensive coordinator description, I'm going to give you the choice whether you want to go first or second in the uh, coordinator draft. We're doing serpentine. Uh, just so the listeners know, we kind of we're kind of doing this off the fly. Um, I don't know if this is going to be on video, but I just want to show everyone my uh, going to cover it up. I have it on a uh, Chipotle napkin. I jotted down a big board of about twelve people on a Chipotle napkin. Yellow college rule. Yellow college rule over here. Yeah, very, very classy by Alex. But uh, you know what? I'll take the first pick because, you know, it makes sense. Giants are 0-2. Seahawks are 1-1. They'd be picking before the Seahawks anyway. That so, Spider-Man meme was if brutal. We, if we are <laughs> if we are a uh, – that was that was pretty brutal. But you know what? Uh, For listeners Carla, who don't know, Carla there is a is meme – with the uh, Spider-Man, there's a, you know all the Spider-Mans pointing at each other, and it's uh, Giants 0-2, and, and it's just the years 2015 through 2021. They're all there. They are uh, uniquely talented at starting 0-2. They are, and, you know, it was funny that a uh, Vikings fan had sent that to me because I could easily make that same Spider-Man meme with all the, you know, former kickers in Minnesota <laughs> that have missed game-winning field goals. Shout out Zach Patro. Yeah, shout out Zach Patro. But regardless, with my first pick, my head coach, I feel like Alex knows who I'm going to take here. I don't. I truly have no idea. Okay. It's uh, (laughs) not. No shit. (laughs) No, I'm going to take Joe Brady. Um, You know, obviously, called called arguably the uh, greatest offense in college history. 
Um, you know, has been just made Teddy Bridgewater really helped his stock last year, and he's making Sam Darnold look confident this year. I don't know what more this guy could do. Like the thought of him with like a top ten quarterback is probably horrifying. So yeah, I mean, I feel like Joe Brady in terms of like youth, uh, guy who's proven he could do it before, and just you know, taking the defense off guard. Uh, he feels like the ideal guy. Yeah, yeah, that sucks. I uh, I was hoping you were gonna take uh, someone slightly different there. Uh, there's there's a lot of options on the table. I, I, that's who I wanted. I'm not gonna pretend that's not who I wanted with my uh, my first pick there. It's a good pick. It's a good pick. Dude, Brian Schottenheimer's there for the taking. Yes, he is. Uh, <laughs> not who I want. I, I really like <laughs> what Brady's able to do stretching the field. I think he does a really good job of kind of doing that high-low offensive scheme where he's creating just a ton of space to run after the catch, and if you try to stop that space, you're going to get burned deep. So that's a good pick. Let's see here. I am going to use my first pick to take my offensive coordinator. I'm not going to take my head coach. There's just one whoa, guy. Whoa, 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 whoa. What, I, what, I thought we were doing a head coaches first. You can do whatever you want first. You want to make Joe Brady your offensive oh. coordinator? You can do it. No, no, no. Okay. You can you can opt out of that Joe Brady pick. Alex if you... Changing the rules right now because I took him off guard. Nah, it's all good, bro. I don't care. It's kind of weird I, that uh, you pick your offensive coordinator before your head coach, though. There's just there's one guy that I don't think I can replace uh, as easily as I, I think there's more people I'm comfortable about a head coach, and I don't think he's a head coach. If you want to go out of that Joe Brady pick. No, you got a shot will, clock to do it here. Uh, no, I'll keep it. I, I'll take okay. it. Okay. I'll run the clock out. I'll keep. Uh, <laughs> I am going to go with current San Francisco 49ers offensive coordinator, Mike McDaniel, with my first overall pick. I'm going to make him my offensive coordinator. He has been Shanahan's run game coordinator since way back in the. Washington uh, Redskins still back then days and just anything that you if you want to try to replicate that almost irreplicable 49ers offensive run game and particularly with a lot of the little nuances that come off of it like a lot of the tight end block leaks stuff like that there's only one guy that can do it and it's McDaniel and they did enough to keep him house that they left for get out of the house so that they could keep McDaniel in-house. They kind of, from what I've seen, had a bit of a choice between which of the two they were going to keep, and they chose to keep McDaniel in-house. He's super young. He's been with them on the Texans, football team, and the 49ers the entire way through. And I don't think that there's a single person outside who's not a current NFL head coach who is better at stretching the field in the run game. So I think he's a wizard. I want him as an offensive coordinator. There's more people I'm comfortable handling the passing duties. So Mike McDaniel is going to be my number one overall pick as my offensive coordinator and potentially future head coach. Going to go with the defensive coordinator next. Again, before my head coach, more guys I'm comfortable with there. I really wanted to get one guy. Well, there are two guys I would be pretty happy with. I think you know who my number two guy is because I pick him in just about everything we've done. I'm not going to go with him right now. I am going to take Todd Bowles, one of the aforementioned fired black coaches. I think that Todd Bowles 
has just been an animal the last couple of years and does a lot of things that I want to do. He's got that three, four scheme. He runs that bare front a ton, especially using guys like Vita Vea, where he is going to just dominate any early down runs, stuff those and force you into a lot of third and longs and then just come after you blitz heavy. I thought that the ways he was able to implement the blitz and particularly stunts and twists with the blitz makes life so, so hard on defenses, especially the offensive line, just creates chaos for them, which creates chaos for the quarterback and forces them into making tough decisions quickly. I really like his heavy cover one usage on third down with blitzes. While supplemented with, he was top five in both cover four and cover six looks on third down, which I really like. So Todd Bowles, again, if I'm going to have most likely a less experienced head coach, Todd Bowles has that head coaching experience. He can take over as the head coach for me because I don't think Mike McDaniel's that guy. Really excited to add ta- Todd Bowles to my staff. All right, you get two picks back-to-back here, Zach. Who are you sniping me with? I'm actually insanely happy those were your picks. Um, I'm going to actually get a, you know, because I thought we were going in order. This works out better for me because I'm, I'm actually going to go not my OC, not even my DC. I'm going to go my offensive assistant. I'm going to take Mike Munchak. As my offensive line coach. Hard to hate that. Hard to hate that. Yeah. Like Munchak, like he has a uh, reputation for, you know, developing offensive line talent. Uh, Most recently, you know, he was with Tennessee from 2011 to 2013. You know, he's been in the league forever. He was with the Steelers 14 to 18 and the Broncos recently. And he's, he's, you know, nothing but success wherever he's gone. Um, most recently, Garrett Bowles, the left tackle of the Broncos, looked like he was playing his way out of the league due to holding penalties. And, you know, he was arguably one of the best left tackles in the sport last year. So, you know, guys like Garrett Bowles, they really, um, you know, they want to learn from a guy like Mike Munchak. And, you know, we didn't really talk about offensive line a lot on this pod, but it's easily the second most important part of the team behind a quarterback. So if I could get the best guy in the sport, excuse me, if I could get the best guy in the sport at coaching offensive line talent, I'll take him. So Mike Munchak will be my guy. I might surprise you a little bit here, Alex, with my DC pick. Let's hear it. I'm going to go Matt Eberflus. Not a shock. Indianapolis. Yeah, um, I'm a big Eberflus guy. Listen, the Colts, I've all, I've been a little critical of them this year. I've always, I think they're a bit, you know, of a stale team. I don't know what exactly their ceiling is, but I know they're going to have a dependable defense. And Eberflus does a lot of things that I had talked about earlier that um, I really appreciate in a defense. You know, 4-3 base, obviously, um, has athletic linebackers, you know, like Bobby Okariki. And Darius Leonard was obviously a top five linebacker in the entire game. Uh, I would definitely, the one difference I would want, I'd be like, hey, Matt, try and get a little more athleticism at the uh, cornerback position. But I do like for a guy who runs a ton of cover three, and he has been running more cover four in years past, I like the value that he gets out of his secondary players. Like Julian Blackman was an insane value. Corey Willis is one of the more underrated safeties in the league. That's a good combo. And, yeah, I mean, 
He just seems like a guy who could find talent. He could coach talent to the best of their ability. And, you know, I mean, that's the kind of coach I want on my team, man. You can definitely use him to build a cheaper defense. I will say that. I'm As a Seattle guy, I've seen enough cover three personally. But uh, I, I get it. I get it. He's – He's a rock star in the league right now. He, he definitely uh, was a guy who had a chance to get an NFL head coaching job last year. So it's hard to hate that pick. And he definitely gives you a certain baseline for what he's going to do, uh, even if they've given up a couple couple high-scoring games so far. He did a decent job, I thought, last week in uh, slowing down Stafford. So I do like that pick. I like the Munchak pick as well. I, I don't know if it's what I would have taken, but he was definitely a guy I was thinking about taking uh, with my assistant as well. So I get back to back here. Uh, I can have a little bit of fun with it now. I, I think uh, I kind of want to give a shout out to two of the guys I was really looking at here, which is uh, I had been looking quite a bit at Brian Dabble. I thought long and hard about it, and I could still put him in as my head coach. I'm not going to do it. I, uh, I like Brian Dabble. It's super pass heavy. He's done a fantastic job. Not the guy I'm going to go with uh, for my head coach. I was looking a little bit at Tim Kelly, potentially your guy from Houston. He's done a very underrated job with Houston over the last few years on the offensive play caller. Still super young. He's like 35 years old. One of the few people kept on that staff. Underrated coach there. I am going to go a little bit out of where I probably should be. Super inexperienced in my head coach. Actually, a guy who's never even been a coordinator before. Taking Mike Kafka who actually interviewed for a couple head coaching jobs this year. He is the passing game coordinator slash quarterbacks coach for the uh, Kansas City Chiefs. He was the uh, quarterbacks coach for the entirety of the Mahomes experience. And when I hear that guy interviewed, I just hear amazing things about him. When I hear Andy Reid or Patrick Mahomes interviewed, I hear amazing things about him. When I hear uh, Fitzgerald over at Northwestern, who I think – would have an NFL head coaching job right now if he wanted one, by all accounts, who had him both as a quarterback and both as an assistant after he retired from the NFL. Nothing but amazing things to say about him. They all think he's a rock star in the league right now. I think that there's a big reason that passing game game calling in uh, Kansas City did not go to a uh, certain guy that a lot of people think should be an NFL head coach who – I think has no business being in that discussion, but that's a uh, that's another discussion over there. I just think that Mike Kafka is a a quarterback whisperer, which is super important to me as a head coach as well. I want someone who can develop quarterbacks and maximize quarterbacks. Because if you can't do that, you're just not going to win in the NFL. And I think he's just a brilliant offensive football mind, and I'm, clearly he is incredibly personal, and players are going to want to play for him. So, really excited to get Mike Kafka on as my head coach. Uh, it really helps having a guy like Todd Bowles with head coaching experience there to help him out. And then for my offensive assistant, I am going to just double down on that quarterback development. And I'm going to take Ken Dorsey, the uh, quarterback's coach and former scout, by the way, for uh, the uh, Buffalo Bills. Before that, he was an NFL quarterback as well. And similarly was the quarterback's coach in Carolina for a while. I think when you look at his track record developing the Tracy toolsy quarterbacks, it's really only been two guys, but it's been two of the guys that were the more polarizing picks when they came out, Cam Newton and Josh Allen. And I think a lot of the credit for what's gone on with Josh Allen as a passer 
has gone to Brian Dabble. And the play calling aspects of it certainly do. He's made life easier on him from that regard. But in terms of developing a quarterback with that big frame, high-end traits, I don't think there's a guy that's better in the game than Ken Dorsey. I think that he has potential as a play caller in the future. I think that especially with a run game coordinator like Mike McDaniel on, as our coordinator, it's going to be fun to double down on someone who can help out Kafka with those passing game calling responsibilities. So Ken Dorsey's my guy, and we're just going to get in a quarterback and develop the hell out of him. So I'm really excited to get him on. If you look at what happened with Cam Newton after he left as the quarterback's coach, health played an issue, but it was a steep decline after that. Really love Ken Dorsey. Really excited to give him a shout out. Zach, your final two picks here. Final two picks. All right. So I need my OC and I need my defensive assistant. In terms of my offensive assistant, I'm going to go with Kevin O'Connell. He is the offensive coordinator now for the Los Angeles Rams. So I'm getting another, you know, Shanahan style, you know, obviously learning on their McVay is huge for him. A guy who really knows uh, he's a really good play caller. He helps assist McVay in the run game a lot. I feel like both those guys have been really, you know, we talk about McVay so much and like how he's able to get the most out of like a passing offense. Both are really good, like running game calls as well. You know, the I fit, you know, his ability, he's, you know, getting to, he's getting more, uh, you know, vertical, vertical for sure. And yeah, that's O'Connell vertical in terms of, <laughs> In terms of like zone and stuff like that, so I really appreciate Kevin o- Kevin O'Connell and what he could do for an offense. And you know, he's probably—I mean, he there's a chance he could be getting some head coach interviews after this season with some of the openings. And my last pick, defensive assistant—I really like this guy, man. Um, this might throw you off a little bit. Don't snipe me here. Don't snipe me here. I I highly doubt I highly doubt I will, but I'm going to go with uh, Terrell Austin. I thought about the, him. Uh, I thought about him. I was yeah the uh, he's the uh, Steelers secondary coach, and it goes without saying. Like if I have Eberflus as my DC, let him focus mostly on the offense. Have him focus on the. Why am I saying offense? Have Eberflus focus mostly on the front seven, and have. Terrell Austin focused mostly on the secondary because we've seen him use guys of all different shapes and sizes. You know, the Joe, the Joe Haydens, Baker Fitzpatrick, who's developed, who's developed into a top three safety. Terrell Edmonds is coming off the best year of his career. And, you know, guys like Mike Hilton and like Justin Lane, who's, you know, starting to take that next step. Steven Nelson, while he's been there, uh, thinking Cam Sutton, guys like that, like, He's another guy that gets the most out of his players. He runs a lot of different coverages, and his versatility is welcome on my staff anytime. Yeah, Terrell Austin, again, a long track record of kind of success and failure and building himself back up. So I, I think especially spending time around a guy like a Mike Tomlin makes him really exciting. Kevin O'Connell, clearly a good offensive mind. I know they kept him in-house over Waldron because they wanted to get more vertical in the passing attack. He's a specialist there. So 
hard not to like that, especially when you have the personnel there you have. For my last pick, which is going to be my defensive assistant, I'm excited I didn't get sniped here. There's a couple guys I looked at. I want to give a quick shout-out to uh, both Chris Richard, who is uh, – or Richard, pardon me, former Seattle guy, former uh, Dallas Cowboys guy, and now the uh, defensive back and passing game coordinator in New Orleans, and Anthony Weaver, who is the uh, – Anthony Weaver, who's the defensive line coach for Baltimore, who has done just a tremendous job just churning out studs. That's all he does. But Larry Foote is going to be my guy, who is the offensive linebacker coach for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. He just does a tremendous job, man. When you look at his time in both Arizona and in Tampa Bay, it's just immediate. He comes there, tremendous impact. You want to see Chandler Jones getting damn near 20 sacks. He was the guy who coached him into it right there. He immediately comes over next first year, Shaq Barrett, I think like 19 and a half sacks first year. He is just a tremendous job at getting his linebackers to develop their pass rushing moves. And also from what I understand, does a tremendous job in helping decide when to run stunts and what stunts to run to run. So I think it's especially in that area, which I care a lot about. I already know that he's going to work well with Todd Bowles because they work really well together uh, the last year when in line to that Super Bowl run where it was really Todd Bowles and particularly that outside linebacker rush group that won that Super Bowl, I felt like, last year. They just decimated that offensive line. So like having him there. Again, when I've got Kak as the head coach, I like having another former Andy Reid guy in Todd Bowles there. So good time to fill it out. So we'll kind of uh, just to cap this off. Uh, list out our teams and uh, just a brief little overview on, uh, you know, who we have there and then uh, wrap this up. So I can start this off. My head coach, I've got Mike Kafka, probably a little bit green, but uh, is what it is. Calling him there. Mike McDaniel is my offensive coordinator. I really like kind of marrying some of that Andy Reid passing principles with the Shanahan outside zone run team. I think that's going to be a nightmare to defend because we can stretch you vertically and we can stretch you horizontally. We just create a ton of space and we've got an offensive coordinator who specializes in those little wrinkles after like in nuance in between plays where he can simplify the amount of play calls, but add little wrinkles that really put defense in a bind. Love that. Todd Bowles, He's going to be aggressive. He's going to give you a baseline. He's going to create turnovers. He's done it every stop. I thought he did a very good job and didn't deserve to be fired as the head coach of the Jets. And I think that the years after really proved that. To my mind, great defensive mind and really provides much needed experience for the staff. Ken Dorsey, in my mind, is the biggest quarterback guru in the NFL. I mean, even if you just look outside of Cam Newton and uh, also uh, what he did with Josh Allen, which very few people saw coming, Look at Mitch Trubisky between this year and last year. He looks like a different guy. So that, that was the final nail of the coffin for me. I like Ken Dorsey quite a bit and then just kind of phone it off with Larry Foote, just someone who's going to really maximize my 3-4 uh, superior defensive line scheme. So, yeah, really excited for how that team's going to look. I think they're going to be explosive, and I think that they're going to uh, – if you're going to have to try to be putting points up against – that defense, you're going to have a tough time because it, eventually they're just going to create turnovers. So that's where I'm at. Zach, I'm going to let you take it. Run down. Yeah, absolutely. So my head coach is Joe Brady. Uh, 
Kind of similar to Kafka, very young, but, you know, I think he's proven that he can handle this role for an NFL team given his prior successes, despite only being in the league for not even two years. This would be his second year as an NFL coordinator, and, I mean, he just looks incredible, man. He looks like he could take you or you or me or we could look confident in the NFL. But, uh, yeah, I like uh, my OC, Kevin O'Connell, uh, offensive coordinator on the Rams, you know, want him focusing more on that vertical run game and Joe Brady more on the passing game, although Brady would be ideally the uh, lead play caller. D.C., Matt Eberflus from Indianapolis, uh, you know, just a guy who runs a scheme that I want, has his guys playing discipline, puts them in the best spots, and, you know, gets the most value out of his guys. And my two assistants on offense, I have Mike Munchak, Denver Broncos offensive line coach, and Terrell Austin, the Pittsburgh Steelers secondary coach. I like having those guys, not only because, you know, they're experts and the areas in which they coach, but given how young my coaching staff is how it is, I like having two assistants that are a little bit older, been around the game a little longer than them, you know, can provide some fatherly advice if you may call it that to the younger coaching staff but yeah no I'm I'm really happy with how my team turned out yeah I think at least from my side I didn't see any egregious picks on your side and uh yeah this was fun man I I like stuff like this I like stuff like this and I think if we did the same thing in two weeks it might look slightly different for both of us so it's fun. It might be fun to revisit after the year once these guys have had a little bit more time to prove or disprove themselves a little bit and other people have too. Uh, yeah, it's a good time. We'll be back again in just a couple days here. We've got the uh, betting line podcast V3 coming out pretty quickly. And uh, this week, a little bit closer than last week, entering into the game that is actually just starting up right now. We are both 15 and 15 on our picks, sitting at 500. And we both picked the Monday night game completely differently with, uh, I believe Zach had uh, Detroit with the 11 point uh, swing there and the under in the game. I had the over and thinking Green Bay was going to cover that 11 point spread. So going to be fun to see. One of us is definitely going to end up two points out of the other. So it is going to be, it adds some intrigue to a game that might not have as much intrigue otherwise. So Zach rallying over here. Excited to get back into that pod. Excited to see what the lines are once they come out and excited to see how this Monday night game comes out. Zach, anything you want to say to wrap it up over here? Uh, yeah, I mean, thank you guys for listening. You know, me and Alex, you know, we say at the end of every time we do this, like how much fun it is, you know, just like talk football with one another. Hope you guys are enjoying the um, the product that we put out, understand that there's some growing pains. Like we, uh, we self scout all the time. We know we got some stuff we got to work on, but you know, me. I'm and perfect, Alex, actually. But, <laughs> um, yeah. Alex, <laughs> we need to get the visuals. We need to start one. doing YouTube. He's the, uh, he's the uh, unrealistic one on the podcast. Nah, but seriously, like we, you know, we just try and give you guys objective football analysis, and you know. We don't, we don't plan on stopping anytime soon, even throughout the offseason. I could just picture next, like, July, it's going to be a Monday. Alex is going to be like, oh, let me take my girlfriend and my baby to the beach. And I'll be like, bro, we got to record this pod midday. You and think I'm not going to get mobile grind. with my podcasting setup? The good, dude, the grind never stops. <laughs> it just never stops. But appreciate all of you. Make sure you give us a five-star review, Apple, uh, 
Google, Spotify, any place you get your podcasts. And yeah, Alex, fun time, buddy. Always a pleasure, Zach. Definitely, uh, definitely make me laugh quite a bit, which is uh, always a good thing on the podcast. Excited to see this kind of chemistry start to grow a little bit. And uh, yeah, always a good time. Five-star reviews. Zach will come and he will pluck your eyebrows into a perfect, perfect Jersey Shore look over there. That is the uh, new feature this week on the West Coast. I will come and I will make you a like three-star taco. That's, that's what we're going to do. It's going to be a little bit lowbrow, but it's going to be pure style. So we'll go seafood. Five-star reviews. Keep them coming in. Zach, excited to talk to you in a couple of days. You watch this game. And thanks to everybody for listening. Again, you can find me at Juicy underscore Jensen on Twitter. But more importantly, Zach Dietz, NFL underscore Dietz. Follow the man. Get him up. This man needs more followers, deserves more followers. And if you don't, no tacos. No tacos for you. It's not happening. And no eyebrow plucking. So double. No eyebrow plucking. You're going to have bushy eyebrows. Is what it is. All right, and I guess we will wrap it up on that weird note. I need to get better in my transitions to endings. Thank you for listening. Appreciate you keeping listening. Mia, and I'm all yours. Not for the money, and it's not for the applause. No, it's for the noise, please. Sex, sex, sex.